All right. Welcome back, friends around the world. Hello, You're hello. listening to the next episode, the next installment of the Podcasting Guild, Babylon 5. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined by the indomitable Mr. Andrew on the other side. Yeah, don't try to dominable me. You can't dominable me. I'm indomitable. Indomitable, even. Also, Eric, you call it the next podcast when you're talking about the next one we're going to do. This is just this. Welcome to this episode. Well, we could be time traveling for all you know. In fact, we are, technically speaking. Yeah, at the the normal rate. Everyone's time traveling, (laughs) yeah. I liked, I was into the time travel of this episode with great promise. You don't say. uh, uh, Yeah, episode time travel shenanigans. Yeah, this week's episode is Babylon Squared, where we actually find out what happened to Babylon 4, at least partially, which is quite interesting. It is quite interesting. Well, let's start the opening breakfast scene. 10 out of 10. (laughs) That cold open was pretty funny. 10 out of 10. Yeah. I mean, Sinclair, (laughs) like (laughs) hypnotizing or, you know, lulling Ivanova to sleep. Okay. A little, a little corny, but uh, that was funny. And then the seamless transition to a practical joke. (laughs) Also very funny. Maybe a bit inappropriate because Sinclair was involved with it. You'll know she only chewed out Garibaldi. Yeah, well, she can't chew out her boss, right? I mean, well, exactly. That kind of shows why maybe <laughs> it wasn't all that cool for Sinclair to, to be part of that. But it, it was hilarious. I love that opening scene. Yeah, yeah, that breakfast scene. Ten out of ten. So many HR complaints on Babylon Five. So many. There HR really complaints. would be. There really would be. Yeah, great stuff in that in that cold open, and I loved the sort of tension building lack of radio etiquette <laughs> that mm. all the babylon 5 pilots practice yeah right where that scout they had sent over to investigate the tachyon emissions which you know like granted i'm not like a super expert but in all my years of physicsing i never once dealt any like the, the only <laughs> way i heard about tachyons was through science fiction so it's yeah. not like i yeah. think they're not totally made up but I don't. Re- I, there, there's not real science around tachyons, as far as I was going to ask you about that because yeah, every time you hear tachyons, you immediately know something to deal with time travel because that's in like yeah. all major it, sci-fi. It's it, tachyons. It might be in some like super theoretical like they they found some mathematical construct and they named it a tachyon because it has to do with time. But I, I maybe I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure there's no like experiments or anything. like no one's measuring tachyons. That's, that's not a thing. Yeah. But it is a thing here in the future. Of course. Uh, because <laughs> it helps for you to be able to detect time travel. Yep. I have to say that you mentioned radio etiquette, but there's also oh, yeah. a lack of military etiquette here. You don't send out one pilot to go investigate something. You always have to have backups. Where's his oh, backup? Completely, completely agreed. Completely agreed. But also, military scouts, like, they don't just jaw, they don't do what we're doing. You know, they don't just, like, (laughs) say what's on their mind. And when something surprises them, they're like, oh, wow, would you (laughs) look at that? Oh, my God. Whoa, that's impossible. I just can't believe it. It's like, dude, dude, (laughs) you're taking up 15 seconds of of airtime here to just voice your astonishment. How about a little bit of information, maybe? Yeah, they're like asking him what's going on. It just keeps giving vague 
descriptions of nothing really yeah that's impossible giving us some great luke skywalker uh <laughs> you know darth vader says i am your father yeah that's impossible yeah but the pilot did pay for his enigmatic plot thickening with his life <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i could have sworn that in this episode when i first saw it they actually showed his body afterwards but i don't think they did in the hbo version maybe i'm mistaken about that but i could have sworn that you saw his body when he got the the fighter back into uh, babylon 5 but I don't see why they wouldn't, except maybe cut for time. But I thought it would have been a much better reveal. Like the the doctor, them saying secondhand, oh, the doctor said his organs had aged, you know, whatever, half a century. Like that's not half as dramatic as opening the cockpit and we see an ancient dead man yeah desiccated corpse where we were yeah exactly and especially if there had been a quick scene of the pilot getting in Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like the writers have the gist of building tension and like having reveals and stuff but i feel like they can't decide on a course and like the pilot dying mysteriously was a great foot in the door to like wedge open the mystery but then they just exposited the answer at us. Right. They didn't actually like, yeah, opening the cockpit. You know, what if there was like, I don't know, what were, you know, you know, if the inside of the cockpit was like, it was like rusted, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, they could have, I don't know, it could have been really, really interesting, I thought. But no, they just exposited at us that his internal organs were old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they could have had Dr. Franklin in there investigating, doing some detective work and, it would have been interesting, but yeah, I think maybe that got cut for time in this, in this instance. There was quite a bit in this episode with the reappearance of Babylon 4 to go through, I imagine. I don't know. Maybe this is the episode they should have broken into two. Yeah. Because I yeah. thought they had a great mystery and they kind of just did a speed run through I it. agree. Yeah. I think <laughs> you're right about that Delane one. And Delane's shtick was, ah, oh, that would get me started. I didn't like Delane's subplot. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, okay. So right after that scene, actually... Uh, they, you know, they're sort of talking about, uh, actually maybe that same scene They're Mm. they're talking about what they found in the ship that returned. And one of them shows that the pilot had etched before into his (laughs) buckle, you know, seatbelt buckle. And they're instantly like Babylon four, you know, which yeah, again, (laughs) fine. But then again, it's like, they couldn't decide which way they wanted to take it so they just did both and then mm. over the radio this announcer is like uh sinclair there's someone hailing us it's babylon 4 and it's like guys yeah. pick a lane either <laughs> of those could have been great but mm-hmm. together they're just muddled and you know like them slowly unpacking the mystery of it being bad for could have been great yeah but also being like, what what is going on? What did he see? And then having the announcer be like, hey, guys, uh, someone's hailing us. It's Babylon 4. Like, you know, that would have been really intense and dramatic, too. But because they kind of teased it, yeah, the reveal wasn't that dramatic. And also we didn't see them peel away the onion of mystery. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't get either one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I felt there was a couple examples of this episode where the writers couldn't decide how they wanted to do a dramatic bit. And so they did all the ways and it just kind of tripped over itself. Yeah, it made it a bit redundant in a couple areas where you're giving too much 
in the way of information to the audience. You have you're not allowing the audience to figure it out themselves or figure it out alongside uh, the, uh, the cast. Like I said, I, I thought either way had its merits. Yeah. Either you could yeah. have this sort of gut punch of a, not gut punch, but like a gasp reveal. Wait, it, Bab 4 was hailing it? Or they could have done a gradual, you know, well, the evidence points to this thing, but we must figure out more. But instead, we didn't really get either. We It wasn't mm-hmm. a surprise when they revealed it because they had already teased it. Yeah. And we didn't get the, <laughs> the investigation <laughs> because they just... <laughs> you know said what it was and oh now they're hailing us and we'll just talk to them no need to have a mystery about it (laughs) yeah yeah and i like how when they initially answer the hail sinclair's oh i'm not going to tell them we're babylon 5 i'm just gonna be like earth force commander and as soon as he meets them on the babylon 4 he's like oh yeah i'm from babylon 5 yeah right he's like well not a ship uh actually a station it's like yeah (laughs) you you don't need to (laughs) yeah i agree that was kind of silly and I, I agree that it was sensible of him to maybe play it cool at first. <laughs> but yeah, then as soon as he meets him, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from a space station. Uh, yeah. What's it called? Uh, Babylon <laughs> 5. Right. It's like that family guy said where, where Peter yeah. tries to get a fake name and accidentally gets his own name. That being said, I don't imagine that Earth Alliance has time travel protocols that we have to learn about like you do with That's some true. other sci-fis. No, that's absolutely true. Well, for a minute there, I thought that the fighter coming back was some kind of malevolent intelligence. You it's kind know? of a malevolent so, entity or something like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when that's actually why I was so disappointed at the reveal uh, of Bab 4 is because it did catch me by despite the name of the episode. Yeah. I was still like, oh, oh, we're going to learn about Bab 4. And then, yeah, anyway, okay. We're rehashing stuff here. But yeah, and then classic Sinclair going out at the head of the task force. Of course, of course. And being the first to investigate the thing that had killed on contact the last dude who did this. Mm -hmm. And while it is true that every once in a while a character has a throwaway line about how reckless Sinclair is, nobody seems to comment on it when it's happening right like no one even had to question him if we just got a, a <laughs> cut to like someone else in the cockpit giving a raised eyebrow at sinclair saying he's going first even that would have been enough to let the audience know you know yeah the characters see what you see this this is reckless mm-hmm. behavior but no no one bats an eye it seems totally normal that <laughs> the commander and his chief of security would be the first to investigate a strange phenomenon that had obviously again, instantly killed the last person who maybe not instantly but and i think to be sure garibaldi was having quite an important conversation with sinclair during that three-hour transit from babylon 5 to babylon 4 you know yeah uh, so it's very important that man i'm that all for quirky conversations <laughs> as evidenced by the fact that i'm willing to do this podcast with you about a sci-fi show from the 90s like i am all for quirky conversations but i'm with sinclair on this one like bro stop <laughs> asking about my pants zipper like let's <laughs> you're right we're gonna be in here for three hours there and back you gotta do better than that you gotta do better than that for sure for sure Uh, and then i mean you point out that sinclair leading the way is kind of silly and then on top of all that when he actually gets to Batman four it's only him and garibaldi there there's no security detail with them and they're coming out with guns drawn expecting a fight yeah if you guys are expecting a fight why don't you bring security with you also and agreed. Come prepare. Also agreed. 
like i think there there would have been fine ways that they could have worked out a reason that <laughs> that's my cat <laughs> uh, a reason for sinclair and garibaldi to be there by themselves sure. like looking for danger but they came with a squad yep. they explicitly sort of made that a weird outcome yeah maybe they didn't know they were looking for danger maybe they're looking for the ship that didn't come back or something and they split up i don't know like but Mm -hmm. yeah the whole squad was behind them if they're coming in guns drawn surely you want a a few more guns yeah right exactly especially if it's an unknown situation and you don't know what you're going to encounter yeah also am i crazy or did they never explain why there was a dude going crazy and shooting at them they didn't explain it in any detail i imagine it's just that he was going crazy because he isn't handling the time travel aspects too well sure sure (laughs) i guess he does say monsters but like yeah fair enough later on we get information that kind of tells us what's happening there but as soon as garibaldi and sinclair subdue him and the other people from the ship sort of show up right like a stage play like as soon as the action's done the other (laughs) characters come from off stage like oh oh we got here just in time but not just in time to be like oh (laughs) i'm sorry this dude almost killed you let me explain why he might have done that it was like oh okay we got it from here yeah end of conversation move on to something else the heroes do the action part they don't rely on others to do it for them (laughs) it's true (laughs) <laughs> it's true i would have loved even a little explanation out of uh mr mustache <laughs> yeah oh and and one thing we've skipped because it's just so skippable is delane's boring mysterious nonsense uh <laughs> as mysterious as it is boring <laughs> we're just watching her push weird colored buttons in space for like three scenes and then finally she gets to the gray council chambers and even that's boring because everyone stands around in their own personal spotlights yeah that to look enigmatic and ominous right and oh uh mimbari politics is exceedingly boring but yes <laughs> super boring and uh, you know you get the impression that they didn't have much for like set design budget for these council chambers so it's like well, it'll just be pitch black Yep. Except for a few lights, and that way we don't need to, you know, <laughs> figure out what Mimbari decorations look like. <laughs> yeah. They basically nominate her to be the new leader and she turns it down. <laughs> Which, you know, that's a pretty that's a pretty compelling, I would say, plot development. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's a pretty uncompelling resolution. Right. It would have been nice to I don't know, like, they have several episodes in a row where they don't have a character. I mean, you know, Jakar, we haven't seen Jakar, I mean, since before the pandemic, it feels like. Like, I mean, (laughs) we haven't seen Jakar in ages. So it wouldn't have been that weird for them to end the episode with it appearing like Delenn's going to accept it. We don't see her for a few episodes and Mm. then bring her in again with her being like, oh, I know the confirmation ceremony is, but I've been having dream you know like i don't know make a thing of yeah. it. it it just felt like such a nothing plot arc to me <laughs> like yeah I don't it, know. it in the moment it is a nothing plot arc but has larger ramifications down the road to be sure and i think it kind of implies that because like who are they going to nominate to be leader now and 
is she going to keep her spot on the council too? Yeah, no, they, they definitely imply that there are consequences to her decision. Yeah. And, and including getting a, you know, light of Galadriel mm-hmm. triangle. Yes. Uh, from, from one of the, one of the honchos there. Mm-hmm. Big, big bosses, <laughs> which, you know, it'll be exciting to see what that does. Apparently there's three of them. And somehow it'll be useful if prophecy things happen. So that's intriguing. Prophecy is a big thing for the Mimbari. Yep. Yep. They love them. Some prophecies. <laughs> and I, But I love how they don't even all agree what the prophecy means, which to me rings true. Oh, that's like, religion in, in a nutshell, right? Yeah, I mean, totally. People have all different interpretations of religion all the time. I don't know. I thought I thought maybe there could have been more meat Sure. Uh, but I, I guess I didn't even love the screen time it did take up. So I'm not <laughs> sad that they they didn't give more of it. Yeah, no, I just found I found a lens plot arc this episode. Just a, a distraction from the excellent A plot. One of the best episodes, honestly, so far. I love this yeah. episode. Like <laughs> what that breakfast opening scene was was hilarious. Then they had really teased really good, compelling mysteries, which they kind of, you know, maybe didn't get all the juice out of that squeeze that they could have. But still, you know, good stuff. Bab 4 comes out. We see Bab 4, which is great because, again, I found it weird (laughs) that the characters don't talk more about how this is Babylon 5. Yeah. Although did answer one question I had, which is, are they all in the same place? And, uh... It turns out not really, but kind of, right? I guess in the same neighborhood. Yeah, three hours in space actually sounds really short. So yeah, I guess they are pretty close to each other. Anyway, where were we on this episode? I kind of well, so they just landed on Babylon Four and they got into that firefight with that crazy guy, and then the guys in the brown uniform show up. And the guy with the mustache is like, "Oh, we got it from now." That's right. That's right. No, no explanation needed. We got it. Thanks for shooting at this guy, but now we have putting hands on him, so it's good. And then, and then the like everything goes a little crazy. There's this like wonky little scene transition, and suddenly Sinclair and Garibaldi are doing something totally different. Yep, like they're in a big firefight, basically. Yeah, and Garibaldi gets. <laughs> gets a rambo scene like he gets this sort of futuristic minigun (laughs) and he kind of whiffs it i mean i don't believe his shouting he's 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 saying like get some but he's saying it just like that like he's saying it like how you might say it into the microphone of a podcast you're recording in the (laughs) evening he doesn't yell it like he's trying to yell over the top of this murderous you know machine spewing death at his enemies like he doesn't yell it like that so i just didn't buy it (laughs) this is what i was born for (laughs) yeah he says that he says it with his mouth but yeah i don't know i didn't buy that delivery have another cup of coffee shoot the scene again i don't know i imagine that's a lot of that scene was filmed on green screen and i imagine that's gotta be one of the difficulties as an actor is getting you know involved in that sort of stuff and feeling the excitement when you're looking at a green mat background and pretending that something is there coming through and shooting at it right <laughs> yeah no that's that's a very good point that's a very good point 
then again, they are professionals, Eric. They are. They are. That's true. I mean, Garibaldi, Jerry Doyle, who played Garibaldi, was, as we all know, the uh, store brand Bruce Willis. Store brand Bruce Willis. He was great in this episode overall. I mean, that actually was a a departure from (laughs) his actually quite awesome performance throughout this episode. I thought he did great. But yeah, that one little bit. (laughs) <laughs> and you know for for his part sinclair's weights were completely unconvincing too <laughs> it did not sound like he was yeah. desperate to stay close to garibaldi but was being pushed away by this desperate mm-hmm. crowd of humanity running for their lives which yeah. is kind of what the scene was showing like he, he was saying wait you know, like you might yell at a waiter who's sort of just getting out of earshot, but you'd really yeah. like a refill, you know, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, like, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> Not, yeah. you're my friend and I'm watching you sacrifice yourself and I'm overwhelmed with emotion. Yeah, it wasn't right. that kind of wait. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Okay, but fortunately, this comes to an end shortly, and we're back on Babylon 4. And now we get the explanation that, oh, time is wonky, and that was time doing a wonk on you. Yeah, it's all wibbly-wobbly, as Doctor Who would say. Wiggly-wobbly, yeah. And everyone everyone experiences it differently, he says, which I, I don't know. I felt like that was a little bit of a cop-out, because then is it you're just remembering stuff slash seeing your future? I guess, I mean, that's cool. Seeing your future is kind of interesting, which I which I suppose was the implied thing yeah. we saw with Garibaldi and Sinclair. And then later, I think we saw Garibaldi's past, mm-hmm. and we saw that that woman again, his love interest from <laughs> from the double episode. Yes, the one that had no establishing arc beforehand. <laughs> right. Right. This is the establishing well, arc. We had time exactly, travel. and fittingly for a time travel episode, it's being established afterwards. <laughs> and like honestly, as long as HBO was was mixing up the view order, this would have been a great one. I feel like to swap on the other side of that because it yeah. does feel like the setup for that episode, and it would right. have had that episode hit a lot harder. Because mm-hmm. this was great. Not only was it informative of what happened, but it showed Garibaldi not being over it and like being really torn up and when she walks away he's like oh my god not again don't do this to me again you could tell it was a a traumatic thing for him well i tell you what was traumatic for me what's that that? outfit he was wearing that was oh my god i wrote down that shirt (laughs) oh that seinfeld shirt how many colors were on that it was like blocky weird colors from early 90s and it was just oh my god that hurt my eyes Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I I also had a note about his shirt. Oh boy. If you're going to do future shirts, do something other than blocky weird colors. I mean, that's the thing. That that looked like that looked like they wanted him to look like an everyman and they just didn't have good foresight of what kind of fashion trends would stand the test of time and yeah yeah those yeah it reminded me of seinfeld that's what it reminded it me of is that yeah it's like mid 90s yeah blocky colors mm-hmm. yeah some old nickelodeon logo or something see this would have been a great part of his arc to lean way into the film noir aspect of his character 
go like smoky background him in a fedora that you know <laughs> that's exactly why it's so galling eric is yeah. because they keep teasing this mis- you know dark kind of mysterious noir background for right. him right. but it'd be it'd be like if one of those old noir movies they were wearing a hawaiian shirt <laughs> like they're just totally undercut <laughs> That whole persona. Yeah, he shows up in Casablanca wearing a, a flowery Hawaiian shirt and has a lay on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Little short shorts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hot. You know, it's hot in Casablanca, so I can I can get away That's with true. that, right? It's, it's tropical. What is it? it's in? It's a desert. It's in Africa, right? Yeah, northern Coast Africa. Africa. North Africa. Yeah. Okay. All right. Back to the matter at hand. Oh yeah, we, we get to more. So let's let's just wrap up the Delane thing so we can stop talking about it. Actually, we kind of did wrap it up. She gets offered the leadership thing and she declines right. it. And they tell her, oh, well, we might not welcome you back to the council. And also, it sounds like a lot of people will be upset with you. And so, yeah, there'll be consequences. But <laughs> when they finish the, the sort of hearing where she says no, mm-hmm. everyone turns their light out until it's just her. Standing there. That's me in the corner. (laughs) That's me in the spotlight losing my religion. Uh, (laughs) I was just like, these guys, these council meetings really have a a flair for the dramatic. (laughs) See, what the audience doesn't know is that Andrew is actually lead singer of an REM tribute band. And uh, yeah. (laughs) That's not true. They don't know you're kidding about those things. That's me in the spotlight, <laughs> losing my religion. Yeah, you guys should come check me out. We're playing live. Uh, no, that is what that scene made me think of. <laughs> Poor Delane in the corner. Yeah, also that's understandable. Oh, boy. Yeah. You got to be super dramatic with their voting. Like, you turn off your light if you're voting against it. And, you know, everyone was wearing these, like, hoods and had this you know, overhead kind of aggressive lighting, mm-hmm. right? You know, everyone, everyone's brow and noses was illuminated and their eyes were in shadow. But they were all really friendly with her. I mean, at the end, <laughs> everyone was like, oh, we don't like that you're declining. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a very cordial council. It's not clear why everyone's so, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess mysterious. They all know each other well. They've yeah. worked together for years. No one else is in the chambers. Put in some chairs, guys. Seriously. Like put in some chairs. You know, <laughs> you, like you could you could have some coffee or something if there was a table. Yeah, some nice refreshments, maybe have some, some documents food. so you could like, you know, have a couple you don't of have donuts to just there. Stand there and remember what you're going to say. You could write it down, <laughs> right? You could like Yeah. You know, it's it's the future. Get a PowerPoint up or something. Like you don't have to just stand in a circle. You could still have the voting lights. You could still have the lights. You can keep the lights. You can keep the hood. You can even be in a circle. You can vote with the lights. Just, you know, have some chairs. Have some chairs. Be a bit more ergonomic. It's, it's yeah. better for your back that way. You have to stand up the entire day. Okay, so there's one other element we have to talk about in this story before we can uh, sort of talk about how everything wraps up, and that is Mr. Exposition Alien. <laughs> they find an alien full of, like... <laughs> it's such a classic trip. Like, this sort of jittering speaks English so stilted that everything he says is very mysterious and, yep. and not 
not a straight answer and you get these elves in fantasy or not not like tolkien elves but fairies or something in fantasy or goblins or something that hint at dark prophecies it was basically Mm -hmm. that but sci-fi and time travel (laughs) this is zathras he's actually a fan favorite he's kind of silly i can see why i was all about zathras I wrote down a bunch of quotes of his, uh, you know, if you let me go, Zathros dies. If I come with you, Zathros dies. Either way is bad for Zathros. I wrote, I mean, yeah, I bet this guy's a fan favorite. He is, he is uh, an Andrew favorite for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I loved his mutton chops. Yep. I was about those mutton chops. They had some good costuming for him. He was, you know what? Great acting in general. Yeah. Not only did he pull off this sort of weird, stilted way of talking, which, you know, it can't be that easy to keep consistent with it over the, you know, many hours of filming. That, mm-hmm. or, I don't know how long they filmed with it. I have no idea. But also his face was super expressive. Yeah. And he almost didn't need to be saying anything for you to kind of read what he did. Like <laughs> after he gave the mysterious time traveling man whatever he gave him. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting back in that, you know, he just looked looked very satisfied with himself. And like, right. you know, compared to the sort of bored anticipation that we saw when we first met him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought I thought the character is very well realized. You could mm-hmm. yeah, sort of always read how he felt about the situation <laughs> uh, without him even saying anything. Yeah. And he refers to Sinclair as not the one, which is interesting. What's he alluding to there? He's like, oh, you're not the one. I'm not supposed yeah. to talk about the one, but you're not the one. And he warned me about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that part. <laughs> and so while they're sort of interrogating this guy, some thing happens, some kind of time thing that, that makes everyone run out of the room. And this is where we get a good sense that the security protocol, it is not specific to Babylon 5. It's a consistent <laughs> security protocol at least across the Babylon family of space stations, maybe across <laughs> yes. all of Earth Force. But like, yeah, all the named characters just run out of the interrogation room, leaving the door wide open. Mm-hmm. And Zathros is like, oh, a wide open door. Don't <laughs> don't uh, mind if I do. And there's two guards literally standing <laughs> right behind, like right behind him. And they look at each other like, what's going on? Oh, we should chase him. Well, yeah. And, and it starts like, you know, we get this shot of Zathros noticing the door is open and behind them. And the two guards are just sort of staring <laughs> off into space in opposite yeah. directions. <laughs> and once he starts moving, then they look at each other like, oh, but like, I don't know. It was just ridiculous. It's like, guys, you have one job, one job. But no, Zathros runs out of the room and encounters a weird, shimmery man in a spacesuit thing. Yeah, blue spacesuit. Yeah, it's this dude in a blue suit, and Sinclair approaches him, and Garibaldi says it's a bad idea, and he's right. And it knocks Sinclair halfway across the across this hallway like he goes flying that was a well done real life stunt by whoever the stunt actor was it's like you get yanked on really hard by the pulleys on that one yeah oh i bet i bet well then right after there's a scene where the commander of bab four is like uh you okay and and, and sinclair's (laughs) like yeah i don't know you know that was weird and it's and it, it meant to imply that the event affected him in a way he didn't understand but you know i feel like 
whatever force is enough to throw you across the room you wouldn't be like oh that was strange and my arm (laughs) has a tingle to it you'd be like oh my lord yeah my ribs are bruised and i landed on a something and my ass hurts (laughs) oh my god so at this point that person or whomever is in the space who disappears and they get back to interrogating Zathras. Yes, who who now is very proud of himself. Had, yeah. Oh, 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 right. After Sinclair does that, yep. Zathros goes up and hands him something. Mm-hmm. We don't know what, but he hands him something. And then, yeah, we cut to them interrogating Zathros again, like nothing had interrupted them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I did the thing, and now it's <laughs> done, and I'm great, and they'll probably build a statue of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah i could see why he's a fan favorite <laughs> yeah yeah and this is where zathos actually explains what's going on with babylon 4 and what he gave the astronaut i guess we'll term that person for right now is a time stabilizer because they need babylon 4 for a great war in the past they assign zathos to this task to go and get babylon 4 and pull it back into the past oh my god does sinclair pro- Bent the war and that's why it ends suddenly does sinclair plant the prophecy oh my god okay look eric i think what? i figured hmm? this whole thing out what'd you figure out uh nothing nothing look. well let's let's hear your hypothesis and then we'll put it to the test once we uh get to that part of the series okay the problem is time travel just completely explodes the possibilities right because (laughs) you simply can't trust that you know that that there's like uh um yeah that like cause and effect is linear like like yeah (laughs) now now that we know there's time travel and we know that there's this dude talking about how he needs all this to stop a great war and we know there was a great war that had suddenly and inexplicably been stopped i mean all those pieces kind of come together for me at the at this exact moment right now so my theory is sinclair either plants the prophecy or it's an actual prophecy and he goes back in time and and somehow intercedes with the great council and stops the war well i guess we'll see will we that's what i think (laughs) that's what i think what's my prize for correctly predicting the plot of a show 30 years after it airs i will get you a drink of your choice oh that's great yeah i'll take you i'll take that i'll take that there you go okay well anyway so what are we talking about we're talking about them interrogating the alien zathos right he tells them the rest of the plot basically Mm -hmm. that he's preventing a war and he delivered this thing and that's the thing he was supposed to do garibaldi and the station commander argue about whether or not he's going to come with them garibaldi's like he says he'll die and i'm kind of with the station commander i'm like on this is like well you know as far as you can tell this station is hurting the people who stay on it so Mm -hmm. it's not obvious why sinclair would be so eager to let him stay anyway you're evacuating everybody but but not this guy yeah it wasn't obvious to me why sinclair had had so much pushback on that (laughs) 
But anyway, the situation kind of decides it for them because now that Zathos gave away that time stabilizer, things are really starting to go to hell. Mm -hmm. And like the station is shaking apart and there's beams falling off the ceiling dramatically and pinning Zathos under them. That happened. They're running through the hallway. He gets pinned. The station commander is like, we're leaving without you. We can't wait. And Sinclair stays to try and save him. And he's like, uh, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Go now. It's, it's actually really well done. Tell Sinclair he has a destiny, basically. And it's like, you need to go. True. And he is now, I mean, there's been like a baker's dozen characters that talk about Sinclair's destiny. So yeah. I, we get it. He has a destiny. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> and yeah. And he's, and he sort of begs him to go. And then after he leaves, the astronaut in blue shows up and they have this shot of him where he's backlit and you know he looks like a like a you know almost a, a religious figure or something savior figure yeah savior yeah. figure that exactly and i don't know did he save zathos did we see him save zathos or did it like it was implied i mean he was standing over zathras and zathos was like oh i knew you wouldn't forget me it's true but if if if, yeah. if Sinclair couldn't pull the beam off him. It's not obvious why it would be easy for this guy to do it. But maybe uh, that guy has superpowers. Who knows? Yeah, time traveling superpower guy. That checks out. That checks <laughs> out. Okay. Well, anyway, so then Sinclair and Garibaldi escape. They're the last two because, of course, mm-hmm. they are. They had to be the last two because we needed them to have enough time on the station to have revealing time-related flashbacks. Right. <laughs> and so they escape and then we get the big reveal at the end of the episode where the blue astronaut takes his helmet off and it's an old ass sinclair <laughs> this was excellent great reveal 10 out of 10 you know it, think of how less impactful it would have been if they sort of teased it being sinclair for a conversation before the reveal but they didn't do that they, mm-hmm. they just had a great awesome reveal uh yeah excellent i thought it was one of the one of the better episodes for sure did you listen to the woman's voice that was talking to him that sounded like delenn yeah yeah, yeah it sounded a it lot like delenn sounded like delenn oh definitely okay yeah, <laughs> yeah sinclair and delenn definitely go back in time <laughs> so the thing is if i'm right Everyone listening to this is probably like, well, obviously he just like went on the Wikipedia or something. It's not a secret, <laughs> but I didn't. I, I need you to know that I didn't. Now, if I'm wrong, obviously <laughs> I didn't because I'm wrong. But if I'm right, it's just my genre savvy. <laughs> something a lot of these characters lack. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Which you have to lack a certain amount of genre savvy for the plot to work. Sure. But it, it's always fun when the writing is strong enough that the characters can still be fully intelligent and competent people mm-hmm. and still have everything happen. Because sometimes even and I think Bab 5 is guilty of this, too. Sometimes the plot is driven by one character just not being good at good yeah. at stuff for the episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's very true. Yeah. Anyway, but for all my complaints, I still thought this episode was, yeah, nine out of ten excellent one of the best Mm -hmm. i thought it had excellent mysteries excellent payoffs some good humor with garibaldi playing pranks (laughs) on ivanova and that conversation with sinclair yeah 
Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And we got to learn about Bab Four and, exactly. and got to learn about yeah, Bab Four. Set up some pretty major meaty plot bits. So that's fun. yeah. Also, you learned that Babylon Four was actually the biggest of the Babylon stations. So Babylon Five is a little runt of the litter. Oh yeah, they did say that. They did well. So uh, I heard them say that, but it wasn't clear to me. You know, I thought these people were from the past with the rest of the Babylon Four crew. So maybe Babylon Four was the biggest up to that point. And they just didn't know about Babylon 5, which is way bigger. That's actually what I assumed. Actually, it was Zathras that said it. He was like, yeah, I've been assigned to get the biggest of the Babylon stations and bring it into the past. Something along those lines. Uh, uh, good. Okay. All right. Yeah, there we go. You're, you're more I like the, than I. the design differences in the, in the stations and how they, they had a unique look for both of them. I thought that was cool. But they still had similar design language. So I could still tell they were from Earth but just obviously different designs at the same time, which was neat. Yeah, I actually didn't clock that, so I'm glad you did. Yeah, that's cool. So Garibaldi was organizing the evacuation of Babylon 4. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it worked. So successful. I don't want to <laughs> knock that, but he did a terrible... It was chaos from yes. the get-go. It was people banging, like, let me through the doors. You'd be crushed with the mm-hmm. front person smashed against the door, basically. It was just absolute chaos. There was no crowd management. There was no, <laughs> you guys have been going through this for a while, but guess what? We're here to rescue you. Remain mm-hmm. calm. We're going to get you in groups. Everyone's getting off. No, yeah. it was, what did he tell them? This station's in danger. You're all in danger. You're going to die. We got to get out of here. We can only take five of you at a time. Okay. He okay, told that's them, my speech. don't panic. Don't, don't panic. Out. <laughs> yeah, like, don't panic would have been a good, a good message there. But no, it was pure chaos. Pure mm-hmm. chaos. Yeah, well, it's not the best organized evacuation, to be sure. <laughs> True. All right. So I get the feeling that you enjoyed the episode. You, uh, this was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was a good one. For my part, I'm honestly not a huge fan of time travel in sci-fi. Just because it becomes very much a, a deus ex machina. It's like, oh, yeah, things happened. Oh, but we went back in time and everything's back to normal. Yeah. And I really don't like that. I completely agree. It's one of those elements where it's so hard to think through if this is something that's possible what are the consequences on like the fabric of the world you know fantasy has struggles with it that's why a lot of the best fantasy is very like low magic like in game of Mm -hmm. thrones magic is super rare so you can really focus on the specific parts of the world that it would affect right whereas if magic and time travel and stuff was common yeah everything's different and Mm -hmm. if you write your world as though it's not different that's just lazy so the two really i mean the one way around it is to make it hard right to make it really hard or specific and i think in babylon 5 they didn't really call it out but i think it's implied that it is very difficult to achieve time travel and that there's a lot of effort that needs to be put into it so i'm not again i'm not a huge fan of time travel but i think for time travel episode this one does a pretty good job with the premise all things considered well they they didn't really explain in this episode why there was time travel like it was sort of pitched as a uh you know i don't know i understood it to be some kind of phenomenon that was happening 
But um, yeah, it is a struggle to not make it easy to do. I mean, Terminator struggled with this, right? The obvious unanswered question through all the Terminator movies was, well, why did they just send it back a little earlier? Yeah. Or, you know, like... Send it back to John Connor's grandparents instead. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, anyway. Or <laughs> or make the robot look like uh, Sarah Connor or something, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, once you have the power of time travel, there has to be an answer to why you don't just use it to fix everything. Right, exactly. You know, so we'll see. Hopefully Bad Five has a good answer, because I agree with you. It mm-hmm. is it is a very deus ex machina kind of mechanic, even when used in this way, which is just to sort of establish mystery and tension. And, and, yeah. You know. The characters uh, themselves aren't time traveling. They're witnessing the time travel occur. Right. Yeah, totally. But we'll see. Maybe it'll come to be that there was it was something intentional. Maybe it's that weird triangle thing. Maybe the council just gave to um, might have something to do with something in the future. Yeah. Possibly, maybe who knows? I mean, that's that's practically a DSS mocking a magnet, <laughs> right? They're all oh, it's one of only three, and and you know it's controlled by this enigmatic council, and mm-hmm. we're not saying what it does. Well, you know, you know it's gonna do <laughs> something super dramatic that the plot demands. Like you know, it's not just gonna be a paperweight. <laughs> yeah yeah very true okay so you know i think i'm gonna have to throw my favorite character at zathros zathros okay this episode i'm gonna agree with the fandom he was excellent (laughs) he he elevated the whole episode yeah good old zathros either way it is good for zathros (laughs) although mathematics is not one of zathros's skills so there is that to consider no, no, no. But we do we do need to get a start on our Zathros statue. It's not going to build itself. <laughs> Very true. Very true. All right. So just before we wrap up, quick uh, science minute corner. I, I don't know what we'll call it, but our little science fact finding part of the episode. There's been a discovery in science. Science. Turns out that it might be something to do with physics, and the standard model is now got some holes in it. If you know physics, which Andrew does, this means something to you. If you don't, then you can just ignore everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, the uh, truth is, the standard model has a few, a few question marks in it. Yeah. But yeah, this is apparently one of them. Is that it predicted a certain range of masses. Or the W boson, and yep. they measured something heavier than that. Mm-hmm. And so the Which... question is, why? Why is the mass different? And this is the kind of holes that appear in the standard theory. It's always very. It's never like, oh, gravity's <laughs> wrong. We 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 thought gravity was a thing, but no, it's never that. It's always just something like, oh, this theoretic subatomic particle is actually you know slightly more energetic than our model predicted yeah yeah. (laughs) why is that yeah it's exciting stuff yeah if you see anyone talking about how this leads to warp theory you can probably know that they are mistaken but yeah (laughs) it was funny oh yeah just talking for a second about science journalism i found the article in ars technica which is a fairly reputable source although not the most technically ingrained source but pretty pretty good and it's 
kept very much very close to the details of the actual paper they were talking about that was recently published talking about this. And then I read an article similar to this on BBC, you know, which very reputable news source. But in the BBC article, they're throwing in things like, oh, yeah, this might have something to do with dark matter or fifth uh, force or something like that. Yeah, I don't know about it. <laughs> you guys are just drawing I, conclusions. I, yeah, I think they're just, I mean, like maybe it has something to do with dark matter. I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, but but that sounds more like they're just sort of listing all the question right. marks in the standard theory. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like it would be, you know, the ideal circumstance would be that they do have something to do with each other mm-hmm. because that would help help make finding the answer I, I think more elegant but you know that's the problem people say there's holes in the standard model but the the thing that i feel like a lot of people don't understand is just how incredibly good what we call the standard model is like all the standard model means is the best answers physics has right now right so um <laughs> And it's easy to talk about, like, like string theory was proposed, not even as a, as a replacement or alternate to the standard model. I guess it would be an alternate to certain, certain parts of it. But, like, it, you need to be able to take whatever you want to add or replace and, and have it give all the same right answers right. that we can get right now. And that's just a, that's a huge task. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh like einstein died failing to even come close to you know a unifying theory right uh you know because the standard model gets a, a huge amount of stuff right mm-hmm. and you have to get all that same stuff right and also the couple things it gets wrong you, you have to get those right too and it's easy to introduce tweaks to get the little stuff right it's incredibly hard to introduce revolutionary new theories right that redefine physics from the ground up quantum was one of them quantum was like an incredible success story in that in that it gave it gave us all the same answers that classical atomic theory gave us about the things that got right but it also explained all the things that got wrong right it was like this right. huge coup and you know incredible triumph so it's not impossible. It's happened before. Maybe it'll happen again. And with we'll quantum theory, you're not talking about the stuff that Deepak Chopra is talking about, right? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, quantum has come to just... Yeah, it's... <laughs> it basically just means magic. Right. And, and for, for all the pseudoscience peddlers, like... Oh, boy. I don't know. I don't know how much I want to get to it. I have a, I have a brother who's a little bit, shall we say, crunchy who once tried to tell me how quantum predicts the healing powers of crystals. <laughs> and this was when I was in class, like in school. So I was more than happy to start talking him through like what quantum actually was and how it's just, you know, a, the mathematical consequences of quantizing mm-hmm. energy levels instead of a continuum, instead of being able to have any value energy turns out particles can only have certain values and that has some rather profound and non-intuitive implications when you start to do math with those and physics yeah and it has nothing to do with (laughs) healing powers of anything and it has nothing to do with uh yeah but that's one of the big questions in modern day physics right is that 
bridging the gap between relativistic theory and quantum theory and trying to come up with a unified theory to explain stuff that happens at the quantum level with stuff that happens at the much larger level, right? Yeah, I mean, there, so there is relativistic quantum stuff. In fact, all quantum stuff is relativistic. Sure. Uh, every, every sort of atomic, subatomic sort of phenomenons um, are happening at like incredibly fast speeds. Uh, and yeah, in theory, you should be able to take like sort of quantum uh, equations for particles. And if you put them in aggregate, it should equal, you know, classical Newtonian physics, right? Right, right. Uh, the thing is, that, is that that's just extremely hard. Like, it's not <laughs> feasible, even if even if the equations are all 100% correct. We just don't have, like, computers or software that can do that yet, right? <laughs> it's just a mind-boggling. So, yeah, you know, it is true. You can't, you know, you can't calculate the trajectory of a baseball using quantum physics. That is yeah. true. Um, and if you could, that would be that that would be uh, an incredible achievement, right? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think a unifying theory probably isn't a real thing, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think it imagines the universe as something designed for humans to understand, and I don't think that's the case. Yeah, and I think the only way are ape brains designed to distinguish ripe fruit and predators <laughs> in the jungle. The way that we can understand the universe is doing exactly what we are doing, which is breaking it into little pieces and building a framework around those little pieces. Chemistry is really good at figuring out how chemical substances interact. But what you learn is, oh, chemistry is functionally just uh, a subset it's applied of, physics of atomic physics exactly it's it's atomic physics with with valence electrons essentially right. and whole and electron holes mm -hmm. and what happens when you put those but but of course it's not <laughs> atomic <laughs> physics you can't really do chemistry using atomic physics it just doesn't work right and i think the idea that we should try to make it work is probably misguided i think the <laughs> right way to to understand the secrets of the universe is to break it into little parts, break it into chemistry, break it into biology, break it into physics, and you know, break and come up with systems that explain their little world well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think I don't, well, maybe I'm a pessimist, but I think that's probably <laughs> probably the best we'll do. I think it's maybe a little bit of hubris to think that we can fit the entirety <laughs> of you know the universe and all the phenomena therein into one unifying mathematical mm -hmm. framework well when it all gets down to it it's all mathematics right it's applied mathematics all the way down <laughs> yeah right well yeah <laughs> i suppose so <laughs> i suppose so our, our um, math lovers will enjoy that there's that uh, yeah anyway you get you get you had me going off there eric I don't know. science yeah really the philosophy of science yeah not even yeah which is also very cool to think about mm -hmm. but um yeah yeah this has been uh science corner and you've been listening to the podcasting guild babylon 5 <laughs> and with that friends hope you enjoyed this episode we'll be back again in the near future yeah. our next episode we'll be watching the quality of mercy which is next episode in our list of episodes. So until then, dear listeners, 
<laughs> good a good to leading you. to you. Hey, we got it on time. Look at that. We did it. We're professionals. <laughs> See y'all.